In our generation, there was nothing but a great overpouring of patriotism and participation and willingness to go to war against uh, Japan and Germany after uh, Pearl Harbor. And so therefore, we just felt like we were doing our duty. And to be made a hero is still foreign to me in spite of awards. And from there, we flew combat all over Southern Europe, France, uh, Germany, Austria, Hungary, uh, Yugoslavia. Twice we crash landed, and once I bailed out and became a POW in uh, Romania. I wanted to be of service to others. I didn't want to be a drag on my own family or the neighborhood I lived in or the state I lived in. I wanted to be of service. And that's what I called myself doing at each step of the way. If I could be of service to my state, I was going to do it. If I was to be of to my family or my fellow man, I, that would, I'm happy doing that. All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justices, Justices of the Supreme Court of New York, the State of North Carolina. Yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina All has... All of our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Hello, welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office, and in this Veterans Day episode, we listen to an interview with bonafide war hero and POW, the late Court of Appeals Judge Maurice Broswell. As a member of the greatest generation, Judge Broswell talks about the 41 missions he flew as a tail gunner and bombardier in a B-17 bomber over Europe in World War II. This interview was recorded in 2016 as part of the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism's historical video series. Um, Judge Braswell, thank you so much for providing me the opportunity to be here to speak with you today. Delighted to have you. It's a pleasure. You know, I think it's a really wonderful opportunity that in this year and next year, the Court of Appeals for this state is celebrating its 50th anniversary. And of course, you were so much a big part of that service on the court. And so as a part of our commemoration, we're excited to to celebrate you and your works, not just on the Court of Appeals, but also to your contributions to the judiciary as a whole. So thanks so, so much for being a part of this. We're glad to participate. Well, talk to me about the early years. I understand, I know you've made Fayetteville your home, but you are originally from Rocky Mount. I'm from Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and went to the public schools there, graduating from Rocky Mount Senior High School, as it was called in 1941. Uh, originally, I had a professor in the 12th grade named Cy Edson who had uh, some connection with the radio station there, and so he got me interested in becoming a radio announcer. 
And that's how I got my start still in high school. Then I worked uh, three different radio stations, WEED in Rocky Mount, WCBT in Roanoke Rapids, and WGTM in Wilson. And that led me up until the fall of 42. And over the radio waves, I got to hearing so much talk about World War II and the need for manpower, in particular radio control tower operators that I volunteered for military service. So now, was this right after high school that you went uh, to? Straight out of high school, I got a full-time job at uh, Roanoke Rapids with that radio station and later moved on my own after Pearl Harbor from there to Wilson. And that's why, as of the fall of uh, 42, I happened to be in Wilson. Uh, While working there, there was all kinds of calls on the radio news about wanting manpower and qualified for this, that, and the other. I felt myself qualified for the control tower, went in, got assigned to a uh, 20-week course in Truax Army Air Base in Madison, Wisconsin, and lo and behold, halfway through the 10 weeks weeks of the 20 weeks, they gave a compulsory physical examination to all the student uh, enrollees because there was a dire manpower for the Air Force. So many people were being killed in the 8th Air Force and other Air Force and bombers that they needed replacements. So by then, when we finished all the exams, I had 2015 vision, better than 2020. And so they yanked me immediately out of radio school and well, I'll have you know from that day to this, I've never been inside of a radio control tower. Wow. <laughs> and yet that's what I had taken a very strenuous test in order to qualify, which I did qualify and was certified to do that when I went in, but I've never been inside mm-hmm. of one. But they saw that your skills were very much needed as a pilot and you ended up serving in the Air Corps, right? Right, I ended up serving in the Air Corps, but I ended up serving in that opposite end from the pilot. I was a tail gunner on a four-engine B-17 heavy bomber. And there we got sent through South America and across, flew across the Atlantic, landing in Dakar in Africa after having been in Brazil and seeing the Danube, I mean, (laughs) seeing the Amazon. And lo and behold, we wound up in a little place called Tortorella in Italy. Uh, The nearest town of size was Foggia, F-O-G-G-I-A, about 50, 55,000 as of that year. And from there, we flew combat all over Southern Europe, France, uh, Germany, Austria, Hungary, uh, Yugoslavia, and I wound up with 41 completed combat missions. Now, 40, that's a lot of missions. It really was. And we were trying a- to make 50, and if we made 50, then we got rewarded by a trip back to the United States and the furlough so you could see your family. Well, things didn't go quite as planned. Uh, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> Uh, during that time, I went all over Southern Europe. Uh, on D-Day, I was actually in Russia, Poltava and Ukraine in the Russia. And uh, there we bombed the, the German uh, 
who were trying to attack Russia at that point. We were bombing their eastern front and their support lines behind it, and we were trying to keep uh, the Germans from diverting troops or airplanes or equipment uh, back to Normandy at D-Day. We heard about it on one of our raids out of uh, Russia into uh, Austria and Hungary, which were on the border with uh, Russia, and have made some important uh, airstrikes and bombing runs. Now, you're talking about the airplane itself. I did fly one mission as a bombardier because two days prior to this particular day in uh, 1944, our bombardier got killed on a raid to Wiener Neustadt in Austria. Uh, that means New Vienna. And uh, there, uh, we had no no manpower to replace the our deceased bomber because on inquiry we found out that all of the bombardiers who'd been on the supply had been killed in earlier missions too. And so the colonel called me up, wanted to know would I fly as bombardier for our crew? And of course I told him, yes, sir. And there I was as a bombardier at the opposite end of the airplane from which I had been trained in. But our pilot was such a good thorough man with all of us, and we loved him dearly, that he believed in cross-training everybody. I was a tail gunner and graduated from gunnery school, and then I became chief armor from further study, everything to do with the aerial firepower of a B-17 or other airplanes, and had also been trained by our bombardier who got killed, uh, how I could open and close the bomb bay doors and uh, help load the bombs and did that on frequent occasions because of shortage of manpower on the ground. And that's how I went through this one mission. It was to Avignon in France. And if you remember Sur le Pont d'Avignon en Francais, uh, it means uh, on, on the bridge in Avignon, one dances around. That's what loose translation. But I did not bomb the bridge itself. We bombed the railroad supply yards there to keep them from sending uh, more troops and supplies from southern France into uh, Normandy because we were, I was overseas flying combat in March and April of 44, and this was before D-Day. And uh, as I told these gentlemen, uh, last November, the country of France honored me with their award of Chevalier uh, de la Legion de Merit. It, it means uh, really knight in the Legion of Merit of France. And we were real pleased and proud to get that. Uh, That's I've quite had, an honor. Hmm? That's quite an honor. It was it, very big, and I'm humbled to have received it. And we had five fires, F-I-R-E-S, fires, old-fashioned, blaming, uh, blooming, uh, expanding uh, blasts of fire just coming out of the engines and wings of our plane. Trash, twice we crash-landed, and once I bailed out and became a POW in uh, Romania. Uh, that's way across the Danube from Yugoslavia. We were a good 600 miles or so away from home when the flames burst out. But when you crossed, 
you thought that there was somebody there who was going to rescue you. And it didn't happen like that. We landed in the Carpathian Mountains, uh, trusted a woodcutter who saw me uh, parachuting down on the plane a little bit too far, and a woodcutter and a herdsman and whatever. But he, I got, it's too long to tell here now, but I got turned over to the Romanians unexpectedly at midnight on the same night I'd bailed out. Now, this is after you parachuted down, and you got hurt when you... I got hurt on my back because my parachute harness caught, uh, my parachute, the billowing part, caught in the tops of their, well, they call it something else. I'd call it a log pole pine, and as the tops of the trees got into the canopy, it broke the limbs, and I uh, swung out to the side and then fell straight down across a dead log on the ground and backwards, prone to the ground falling from the condition I was on that swing with the weight. And there, I, it felt like I had broken my back. I felt paralyzed. I could only crawl and halfway walk with the support of a stick uh, that I found. And that got me through that experience. Well, but having made it through that and having been a prisoner of war, um, that's, that's a lot to have gone through. And you did it. Um, and I'm sure that so many of us, not just in North Carolina, but around the country, would really see you as a hero. <laughs> well, as some have told me so, but I have never felt that because... In our generation, there was nothing but a great overpouring of patriotism and participation and willingness to go to war against uh, Japan and Germany after uh, Pearl Harbor. And so therefore, we just felt like we were doing our duty. And to be made a hero is still foreign to me in spite of awards. Uh, I got one award, the Presidential Unit Citation from President Roosevelt for one of our missions. And somehow or another, I just feel proudest of that one of any of the others, although I did have one that I got injured and have a Purple Heart in, for which I'm very grateful. But uh, we thought we were going to all die that day, but seven of us got Purple Hearts and three came out unscathed unscathed, but we got rescued by the, we went off in a good airplane and came back in a British RB-8 ambulance because we had managed to keep flying until we had crossed front lines and got on their side of the British side of Italy, uh, where the war was still active and going on, but we landed, uh, we got treated by a place I'd call something like a mash hospital in TV days, and uh, that bandaged us up and got us on an ambulance, and uh, we got back home about uh, dust dark or so, having left uh, five or six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> going bombing in northern Italy. But uh, we got rescued uh, by King Michael of Romania, August 24th, of, no, that's when he made a famous radio broadcast, 
changing sides for Romania to the Allies instead of the Axis, which precipitated uh, three or four days later us getting rescued by B-17s coming in, and we climbed in the bomb bay. They'd left all the bombs at home, and they had boards down across the bottom of it, and they swayed so with 35 men standing on them that you felt like they were going to crash and you were going to go down uh, without a parachute. But that we got rescued, all of us did. Uh, there were over 1,100 of us that particular a day that got rescued, which is getting on towards 1st of September then. And by the 9th, the 10th of September, I was back in my home base in uh, Italy and then got to Naples and New York and finally back to Fort Bragg and, and home. But I understand for many years it was very difficult for you to talk about these experiences. And your son, Mark, who is a practicing attorney, um, encouraged you to write a book about your life. Um, and he did. As he began to read it, he it was hard for him to even believe that he was actually reading about his father and all of the experiences as a POW that you'd had. And but for him and his older brother Ed, uh, would never have started writing. It was a most difficult task. I started in the first. Uh, I got two pages. And it took me five months to go back and get to the third page. Uh, I'm now rewriting and proofreading on what I hope is my last revision of it uh, right now. And uh, it's now about 151 pages. So that makes a difference. Well, and then as a tribute to you and because of the importance of your story, Mark also created a play he uh, did, based on your life as well. called Paying the Price, and it was uh, performed by our little theater here down at the Airborne and Space Museum in Fayetteville. Uh, it had a four-night run. Uh, the last night, we had about 35 people waiting to come in with money in the hands and had to turn them down because the fire marshal said, you can't overload this place, wow. and so no standees. And... Uh, we got through. It's been played in Washington, D.C., uh, at places, and uh, it's been performed elsewhere. And it was last performed that I attended in uh, Newburn, North Carolina, when we had a national reunion there, a former POWs from Romania. And a man from Chicago had paid to have it uh, filmed and recorded. And hopefully one of these days, it'll be published out of Hollywood in a film that's a part of the life story of another man, uh, Lieutenant Jim Britt, uh, who, whose airplane crashed on August 1, 1943, in the famous low-level raid on the Ploesti oil fields uh, before anybody realized that Blee-17s could penetrate that far into the enemy. Uh, yes, we did do some damage. We lost many, many, many killed on that particular mission. Uh, three Congressional Medals of Honor were awarded on that August 1st mission. That's how difficult and uh, meaningful it was to the country and everybody. Do you have a sense of the gravity of your work and do you think that your 
experiences as a POW have impacted your commitment and dedication to the state of North Carolina and to this country? I'm sure on that last it has impacted on my uh, willingness to help others. And for that, I'm grateful. Uh, it's hard for me to sit here and say that I'd take any credit for any of those because I wanted to be of service to others. I didn't want to be a drag on my own family or the neighborhood I lived in or the state I lived in. I wanted to be of service. And that's what I called myself doing at each step of the way. If I could be of service to my state, I was going to do it. If I was to be of to my family or my fellow man, I, that would, I'm happy doing that. You've been listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the North Carolina Judicial Branch by visiting nccourts.gov. If you like our podcast, please share it with a friend and give us a five-star rating and review. Your help is essential in spreading the word about the positive work of the Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening.